Here's the Smart Retirement Cast brought to you by Smart Retirement Media. Now, here's your hosts, Mike and Matt. Hey, listeners, we're back for another live episode of our Smart Retirement Podcast, and we're happy to be back. This is Mike Points, your co-host, and I'm here with... Matt Hollander of Century Financial Consultants. How we doing, Mr. Mike? I am doing good, my man. I finally broke the bubble and went outside my house and left the county. I'm visiting my in-laws because I just couldn't help interacting with just my wife any longer. Gotcha. How's that been going? You guys are uh, you're up in what the High Valley of uh, LA County, so what, like uh, Lancaster, Palmdale area? Yep, yep, Lancaster proper. They have a, a beautiful resort style home on like an acre and a quarter here. I got a nice. pretty nice, pretty nice pool I can jump into as long as I don't blow away with the fifty mile per hour winds here. <laughs> and like you're sitting in the pool on like a floaty, and you'll just find yourself like. Like you're in a sailboat, just like sailing to the far right corner of the pool. Yeah, and then the 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 pool float catches a little bit of air, and then you go flying out of the pool. Yeah, you're like, ah, I'm going over. I'm going over. <laughs> it's so true too, because I've got a uh, one of the racetracks that I race out, Willow Springs, is uh, probably about what ten miles from you, if that. That's and right. uh, you know, in the late afternoons, we get that wind out there on the racetrack, and you'll be coming around some of the corners there at 130, 140 miles an hour uh, or more. And the wind starts blowing off the side of the cars and pushing you off the track. I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I took my dogs for a walk just to get them out of the house this morning, and it was like we were all walking on like a tilt. <laughs> all, all three of us. It was pretty comical. But uh, yeah, we're here. Uh, we're just, you know, in-laws are been retired. Uh, they own a couple rental properties in the area, so they're. They're in the uh, liquidation phase. In the next six to twelve months, they want to sell both the uh, the properties that their LLC owns and the primary residence. In fact, that's why we were here to help them wrap up a couple packing items for the primary. And just we've been eating like it's Thanksgiving, though. You're right. The COVID <laughs> the COVID nineteen is in full effect here. You know what I'm talking about, listeners. Everyone's I mean, you, gonna be pretty happy when the gyms open back up. I think <laughs> people are gonna walk outside in sweatpants. I guarantee it. Yeah, you go to a meeting in some sweatpants. So, so you're saying that I can't do meetings anymore with a suit jacket and then sweatpants or shorts below? I got Darn this it. guy. I got this guy that I'm following. He's a he's a trust attorney, and he's been doing meetings with a tie on and basketball shorts because he loves uh, playing basketball. So he's like, I, why wouldn't I wear basketball shorts every day? I can't say that I haven't done the same. So, <laughs> so we're around the fire pit uh, two nights ago celebrating Mother's Day, and my father-in-law was just making you know small cocktail conversation, and he said just the other day he was listening to a radio show, driving around getting some stuff done, and the gentleman was talking about the the prudence or the lack of prudence of having a trust. He was saying the trusts aren't even smart to have. They're kind of the, the, they're the worst thing that the attorney world has ever created. And I looked at him and said, man, I wish Matt was here to talk about this because that's really his realm. But I can assure you that they're not a bad thing. So he went on to kind of argue from the natural objections, which is, you know, if you've got your stuff properly vested and you can pass it right to your kids through way of title, like co-ownership of bank accounts, property, all that stuff, you know, having the kids be beneficiaries on 401ks and 
that you don't need a trust. So I was, I even tried to call you, but, um, you know, it was mother's day. So I'm glad you didn't pick up after it started ringing. I was, I think I hung up, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think I saw a missed call after a ring or two. I was having a cocktail hour with my mom. So we, uh, we were having a good time. I think we were playing a board game or something at that point, And it was getting pretty, uh, pretty intense. So why is my father-in-law wrong? Why is a trust well, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to take the stance that he's wrong. I think there's some loopholes in his thought there. And I think this is a good way to kind of start the show today was um, looking at a trust. I mean, what does a trust really do? It's supposed to be simplistic as far as the way of passing assets on, but it's also supposed to be a way to keep assets out of probate. And mm-hmm. I think in your father-in-law's idea, that's where the first flaw is going to come in is sure. Can you have your kids on a bank account? Yep. As a joint owner, of course. Okay, so let's look at issue number one with having them on the actual title of this and not necessarily maybe a payable upon death or transfer upon death, right? So now that's technically their asset. They go out and get in a car accident, kill somebody. Your money in that bank account is now their money and can be attached in any type of lawsuit claims against that individual. Okay, so there's an issue there. Um if you don't mind, you know, something like that happening, great. Okay. On the flip side of it is at the at death, even if it is as transfer upon death or payable upon death, you can still have probate issues. All mm-hmm. it takes is for one person to come in and contest your will inside of, uh, you know, your final will, um, and it can tie it up into probate. Well, would it come out of probate in, in favor of this claimant that's saying that you owed them money? Who knows? I mean, it depends on what the the claim would be at that point. Mm -hmm. But look at what it costs to go to probate, the time that it's going to take for the assets when you could have spent, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars doing a real simple trust Mm -hmm. and just gotten it over with. Now, Mm -hmm. the one thing I will say about your father-in-law's comment that makes sense is after the SECURE Act that came into effect January 1 of this year that they put through the administration last year. Uh, it changed some rules when it came to inherited qualified accounts. So whether it be your, your 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, et cetera, they're now forcing people to take the funds out of those accounts within a period of 10 years, whereas before they could take it over their life expectancy. And mm-hmm. the other issue becomes there is let's say you have a trust and your financial advisor or representative sent the account up to the IRA, 401k, whatever it may be, its beneficiary is the trust and not an individual. So what's going to happen is the money is going to go through that IRA. It's going to get paid to the trust. You're going to have to pay the whatever the highest tax bracket is for a trust. Uh, you know, It's 30 plus percent on the asset. Then the individual will receive it and have to take it out over a period of 10 years. If it's put directly to the beneficiary, Right. So for, let's say it's my mom's account and on her IRA, it's just written Matthew Hollander, whatever my ordinary income tax bracket is at that point in time is the tax I'm going to pay on. I still have to take it out over 10 years. OK, so a lot Question. of my clients. Yeah. So ordinary income. So would those assets bump you up in the marginal tax bracket for the year as well? Or do you? Sure. Do they, OK, sure, it's so gonna, it whatever you take that year is going to count towards your income. Right. Got it. Oh, you've got a million dollar account. You're taking, you know, uh, it out in equal sums for the ten years. You've got a hundred thousand dollar gain that year in your income. 
right? All right. So you get the flexibility if you're self-employed to maybe write off more expenses and things of that nature or play with the tax code. But you, if you're a, if you're an employee that's just kind of, you know, on salary, that every year you've got to plan for that new tax, which you would reduce from the cash you get, but it's gonna it's gonna minimize that asset that you get to use. Yeah, and I mean that brings up a great conversation that I have with a lot of my clients and their kids is when they're in retirement, their tax brackets are usually pretty low, right? And it might make sense to look into doing a Roth conversion on some of those funds. That yeah. way, when the kids take the money out, they're not having such a tax burden and now having to take it out over a 10-year period. Because depending on when your parents pass, you might be in your highest income earning years ever at that point in your career. And now you're having to add in those funds that you're going to be required to take. It's not a, you know, if you want to or if you don't. It's coming to you and you've got to do it over a 10 year period. So going back to, you know, is a trust make sense? I think, yes, for probatable issues, uh, for security of one's estate, it makes a lot of sense. It will complicate things for taxes uh, when it comes to qualified accounts. So for real estate, non-qualified, so after tax stuff you've already paid tax on should be inside the trust. It makes a lot of sense there. The qualified accounts, not necessarily. Not necessarily. So you just want to make sure that those beneficiary designations on those accounts are written properly so there's no issues at a later date. Interesting. Interesting. Well, great way to start the show. I mean, it, that's right there. Just, you know, how you could argue from both sides, but it just all depends on what's going on with your personal situation, right? Absolutely. And uh, start, Matt always starts with setting up a, a beautiful plan. I mean, the first step is discovery and plan. Not just like, voila, this is the product I'm selling this month. Yeah, I mean, I had a couple uh, clients off of a mailer that I sent out. I shouldn't say client prospects that came to me after a mailer I sent out recently that was offering uh, complimentary video conferencing uh, in my area near the office. I sent out about 12,000 mailers to everyone and had a few people call in and they're like, okay, so how do we get this process started? Right. So I'll actually send them my investor worksheet, a risk assessment, so I can get to know who they are. And right. I would say 90% of them got them back to me. We've had meetings. It's been really, really cool uh, teaching them how to do these Zoom meetings for financial meetings. It's been it's been interesting. But, um, you know, there's that 10%. They, they, they come back and they say, well, Matt, is this really necessary? Do we have to fill out all this stuff? I, I, I just want to, I want you to sell me a product. I just want to do this. I'm like, well, unfortunately, that's not how we work. And that's not how I go into any of my planning. Uh, you know, in, in anything in our firm. So I told them, hey, you might be better off going to another financial planning office because I like to create relationships with my clients that, you know, last for a, a long time rather than just trying to sell them something. So it's uh, it's been interesting. So, but I will, for all, any of you listeners out there that are interested and want to have a financial update done uh, on your current assets, I'd be happy to take a look at it, put in a plan for you. Uh, absolutely free of charge to you. So 866-53-RETIRE. Again, that's 866-53-RETIRE. Or you can shoot us an email at info at smartretirementcast.com. I can get you that information and kind of get the ball rolling for you on that. doesn't matter um, what state you're in, listeners. And Matt can help you anywhere in the nation. Um, this week, listeners, we're going to take a little break from the COVID news regurgitation. We think you're getting plenty of it. Um, many of you might be just, it might just be white noise in the background now because it seems to be everything that anyone's talking about. We're going to get back to the, the topics that you guys have always been so interested in. 
Um, Matt's going to talk about volatility insurance today from a standpoint of how he structures certain plans to combat the volatility in marketplace. I'm going to be talking to you about a different way to think about owning real estate free and clear and carrying back or holding private notes against real estate you want to sell. So as we get into the show today, we're going to go back to the old traditional topics that we like to give you guys so you can be smarter in retirement. And uh, we're going to do that right after this break. So stick around. We'll be right back. Honestly, when was the last time you really took a hard look at your retirement plan? With the market the way it's been, it can be easy to become complacent. A new decade is upon us, which comes with a lot of questions. Can the economy and the market continue to grow? What will the next election do to my investments? Is it time to sell my house before the market adjusts to downsize and take advantage of the equity? How can I best maneuver to maximize return? The answer is simple. It never hurts to get a second opinion from a team like Century Financial Consultants. With over 40 years of financial planning experience, Get a free retirement analysis from Century Financial Consultants today to see where you stand and if you're ready for any changes we may face in the coming year. Give Century Financial Consultants a call today at 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE. Prepare for an uncertain tomorrow so you can relax and enjoy today. Get a free retirement analysis from Century Financial Consultants by calling 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE. Century Financial Consultants, California license numbers 0L23991 and 01756. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act, NMLS number 328358. Mike Points is a licensed loan officer in California, NMLS number 1246224, and is only licensed to offer advice on mortgage products. He is not licensed as an investment advisor. All of the mortgage products Mike Points will discuss on this show are for educational purposes, and these products should be reviewed by a licensed loan officer before taking these mortgages on as your own, as they may not fit your specific situation or needs. Welcome back, Smart Retirement Podcast listeners from that short break. This is your co-host, Matt Hollander, and as always, joined here by Mike Points. Mr. Mike Points. For my little segment today, I wanted to talk a little bit about volatility insurance. And what I'm finding, in, especially in today's market, everyone's a little bit unsure of what to do and where to start. And in a lot of the phone calls I've been receiving from new prospective clients, there's a lot of frustration and disappointment that they're seeing with their current situations. And when I say disappointment and frustration, it really leads down to probably more of not what they've done, but maybe what their financial advisor has done. I've had a couple of people in, in the past week or two call in and explain to me that you know, they, they didn't call the first month on the mailer that I had sent out because they just kind of wanted to sit around and see what the market was going to do, which in reality was probably a good decision. But from a few of them, you know, they've been with their advisors since the early 2000s, maybe right after the dot-com bust. And their advisor said, you know, I've got all this stuff. We're not going to lose you any money. And of course, 2008 comes around and they lose 30 to 40% of their portfolio, which I don't know about you, Mike, but I wouldn't be real happy about, but that's just kind of the way life was back then. And, you know, over the last 10 years, we've had a nice little run. 
Those same financial advisors, of course, when you go into the office, they can brag about how much money they've made you and everything else. But what just happened? Well, these financial advisors now got a second reality check with this person's portfolio. And all the things that they had said over the last 10 years, no, we're on a good run. We're on a good run. You're not going to lose anything. Well, that wasn't necessarily the case when the market kind of fell out here, uh, you know, two and a half, three months ago now. So I had one situation, Mike, with one of the uh, the people that called in, and it was kind of interesting. He basically told his advisor, you know, hey, I don't want to go into anything super risky. Uh, we've made everything back up. And I think with this COVID thing coming on, I'd like to go into more of a volatility controlled type of uh, place in my account, maybe go to some treasuries, maybe some cash, maybe some gold, silver. Um, but definitely didn't want to stay in the market. His advisor tells him, no, 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 no. Don't get out right now. It's a bad idea. You need to hold this one out. And so, of course, when the market starts falling, the client keeps calling into the office saying, hey, we need to get out. We need to sell. This was probably when the Dow was at uh, 24,000, 25,000, right, on the way down. And he basically tells the advisor and the advisor says, no, we're not going to do it. And you're going to hold on. And then the market hits 18 or 19,000. He finally calls the advisor and, and says, you know, hey, we need out. So the advisor sells. Market starts rebounding a little bit about a month ago now. And uh, client says, hey, I want to get back in. What do you think the advisor tells him, Mike? <laughs> Basically wait. tells him, yeah, wait, or it's not a good time. And so now the client's just frustrated and disappointed in the way that his portfolio is being managed because what's happening now is, is it really his money, right? You should be able to call your advisor, have your own gut feeling. They should be able to give you a recommendation, but not give you a yes or a no, right? right. And in reality, the advisor probably gave a recommendation and talked him out of it, but he was frustrated in a sense that he even listened. And I'm seeing that time and time again. So what I wanted to do today was to kind of come off of this story and talk about what can we be doing with our assets to avoid issues like this, right? We really want to be looking at the first thing being diversification in our portfolio. And you want to make sure that you aren't focusing in too heavily on one thing, right? You don't want to be all equities. You don't necessarily want to be all bonds. Um, there was probably a way to position assets properly based upon your risk tolerance and your current age, right? Because a 40-year-old is going to have a heck of a lot of a difference of a risk tolerance than maybe a 65-year-old that's getting really close to retirement or in retirement and needing these funds to live off of, right? We've got a 20, 25-year difference there of earning a capability to rebuild those accounts. So, the first thing I wanted to kind of discuss was a volatility controlled index. And this is starting to be something that we're seeing a lot in any of the indexed universal life or indexed fixed fixed indexed annuities. And what this volatility controlled index is, is it's very similar to, let's say, an S&P 500, but it's got a fund manager essentially behind it, which hard to say a fund manager, but someone that's overseeing this particular index. 
And rather than just following the S&P 500, it will actually automatically start pulling some gains off the table and investing into treasuries and things to help curve the volatility inside this index. And they'll probably have a target uh, volatility of, let's say, 5 to 7%. And what they'll do is they'll they'll scale back or scale up depending on how much they are, but they don't want to see more than a five to a seven percent swing in the up or the down. Now, the beauty of these indexes and in the in the index annuity or the index universal life policies is you have no market risk. So again, when the market takes a, a dump like it did, you would have been either at a zero or been able to lock in your gains. Now, I've got clients that want to get back in the market now, but they're unsure. And they're concerned because they don't want to have any risk. So what do we do in a, in a situation like this? Well, we maybe take a percentage of the portfolio and stick it into an indexed annuity. Here's why. What's going to happen is, let's say market today is at, uh, where did you look at it today, Mike? I, I can check it out real quick. Uh, it was but, down uh, today due to the announcement Feds had yesterday of getting out of the bonds purchase. I could look at it right now while you're no, chatting. I've, I've, I've got it up. So Dow's uh, as of Tuesday, May 12th, uh, we're at uh, just a hair over 24,000, right? And so we're thinking, let's get back into the market and how do we... Uh, how do we get in and not have to worry about what the market's going to do? Well, the index annuity is going to allow you to take any upside, less whatever the insurance company might keep in the way of a, a cap or a, a fee, for instance, mm -hmm. and you're going to get the rest. But if the market starts going down, you're not going to have to worry about it, mm -hmm. right? So in reality, we think we're going to, I think at this point, a U-shaped recovery. You know, We talked about this in the past couple of shows of what direction we thought the market's going to go. So if we're saying it's a U-shaped recovery, mm -hmm. which means probably two to three quarters, right? An index annuity is going to measure the market over a 12-month period, so four quarters. So with that being said, you'll be able to ride up the market you might give up 25, 30% of the total upside gain, right? But at least you won't have any risk associated with it. And then... Yeah, when, if the shape is an L, like we talked about, and we hit a blip here with a resurfacing of the of the virus come Q4, yes. you just stay where you were, right? Correct. So it's a Correct. scoop of cash with upside? It is. It is. That's phenomenal. So that sounds like a warm, fuzzy blanket to me, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> and I that those aren't cheap. So when you say, I love that you emphasize or brought up, I shouldn't say emphasize, but brought up that there is a cost of doing business this way, you know, for when there is no risk and reward, there's usually fees or, you know, per cap, like you said, caps. Yeah. So normally the insurance companies are going to get away from having, at least now, trying to get away from fees because fees to most people, it's just a nasty word. So what they try to do is almost like a profit sharing, if you will, right? So if the index is up 10%, they make it keep 30% uh, of that. So they'll keep 3%, you get 70, so you'll, you'll actually retain 7%. And in reality, if you look at what the S&P 500 has done, uh, you know, historically, these types of things are gonna probably average you somewhere between four to 6%, right? These aren't gonna be the huge money makers in your portfolio. Yeah. But compared to like bonds and things right now, what that market looks like, it's a heck of a lot better option than that. So, yeah. you know, you can use utilize these to create income for yourselves in retirement. 
and then play with the additional amount in the portfolio in the market if you care to. Um, you know, the stuff that you're trying to maybe save for an inheritance, maybe buying a second home, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. you know, do that in the market. But keep your monthly expenditures that you need on a guaranteed basis through the index annuity that can be provide you a lifetime of income. Mm-hmm. So then you're not having to worry about this volatility that is happening in today's market. You know, the other thing that uh, people have been asking me about is, well, Matt, what do you think about gold and silver? And I've never been a huge proponent or in favor of gold or silver. I mean, that's just my personal investment philosophy. But um, we do, I do now have the ability through um, Century Financial Consultants to take a qualified or non qualified asset and we can help you purchase physical gold or silver. So that's a new service that we're, uh, we're picking up now. Uh, which I'm excited about because there are quite a few of my clients that you know have a different philosophy than me in that. And if we're looking for something that uh, historically is a good volatility insurance, that might be another option for you there. Um, you know, in reality, is if the if we keep pumping money into the into the economy, well, what's that going to do to the value of the dollar, right? And so gold, that's when gold becomes appealing is when people are starting to get worried about the valuation of the dollar. Well, as that starts to disappear, the, the gold starts to, to increase in value because it, um, across the world is, is known to be a, a decent currency. So that's another option uh, while we're staying on the volatility insurance topic. I mean, well, you talk about the value are, of the dollar, uh, Matt, I just want to interrupt, yeah. you know, sure. just this morning, um, the CPI index, the consumer confidence index, mm-hmm. uh, and four tenths lower than expected. Um, that could be just a pure immediate reaction from what's going on with COVID. But if that continues to stay in that level where, you know, as a as a real estate banker, I'm looking, I'm I'm seriously in tune to how confident new buyers are to go out and get pre-approved and buy a house. You know, mm-hmm. every talking to i'm saying hey what's the what's the chatter like out there are you getting multiple offers are you getting one offer at a time and it's not it's not a great offer is it aggressive most of the agents in the central coast of california are saying that we're not getting um you know mickey mouse or cockamamie offers on our our listings we're just not getting as many and if the consumer price index um confidence index and price index continue to to stay low that would lead to deflation which would I mean, not like serious, like Japan deflation, but it would lead to deflation, which would be something that the feds would have to deal with. That would be a headache. And in that case, the value of the dollar would go down. Yep. Yep. And that's another reason I've kind of been sitting on the sidelines with some cash sitting around because I am trying to buy a couple properties at this point. I'd like to create some more rental income in my portfolio. And uh, we'll see. Um, the Especially the, I know the real estate market out there by you, Mike, has been pretty crazy. And even here in Scottsdale, I mean, there was a house down the street from me that uh, someone bought in 2011 for $235,000. They just put it on the market uh, two days ago for a million bucks, and they already have an offer, full cash offer on it. Where is that in Scottsdale? (laughs) It's North Scottsdale. Yeah. So wow. right around the corner from uh, my office, my house, actually. So that was kind of interesting. But uh, 
getting back to volatility insurance for just a minute, then we can switch over the real estate stuff after the break here. But, um, you know, people are saying, should we leave the money in a savings account? And if we get into an area where we do have deflation, well, you're really going the wrong way at that point because the banks really aren't going to be offering any interest, not like they are right now anyways. Um, another thought there might be looking at a fixed annuity. Um, where does a fixed annuity differ? Well, your fixed annuity is going to be more like a CD. I'm not a big proponent of CDs just because whether you use the money or not, you're still receiving a 1099 on it. And more often than not, they're going to be offered through a bank or a credit union that really aren't offering any decent rates whatsoever. So a fixed annuity is going to be a, like a CD just issued through an insurance company. And you get to set the term. Now, they're not going to be your, your six-month, your nine-month type of deal. Um, that's where the bank's still going to be have probably a better deal for you. But when we get over to two years or more, this is where these fixed annuities can make a lot of sense. So I just brought up the chart right now, and I'm looking at it on a two-year fixed guaranteed annuity. Right now, you can get 2.3%, which isn't terrible. But let's say you're bearish on the market and you're saying, okay, you know, if I could get 3% over the next five years, I'd be pretty happy. So you could actually go into one of these 3.1% for five years. You could actually go all the way out to 10 years and still have about 3.3%. So you'll find that the rates will actually be really good between three to seven years, and then they start to drop off past that. But you still actually get access to some of these uh, funds, unlike in a CD. If you needed to pull some money out of it, you could. Um, you don't get a 1099 until when you pull the money out or you start utilizing some of the funds in it. So it'll help alleviate some tax issue there as well. Um, and again, I mean, as long as you're doing it with a reputable insurance company, uh, your money is going to be safe there. So I think that would be another way for a part of your portfolio to combat some of this risk. If you just said, hey, Matt, I do not want to be anywhere near that darn stock market. I want to know exactly what my rate of return is going to be. This might be a better option for you for a volatility insurance uh, of such, other than maybe looking into some real estate, which historically has been a, a decent way of com combating volatility if you have the means to hold the real estate through some of these downturns in the market. So That's right. Yeah. Reserves are huge, paramount right now when you have things like, you know, tenants not paying the mortgage or excuse me, the rent because of uh, ways that states have allowed tenants to do that. Um, obviously, every time the house turns over, you can access some of their security deposit for things that they did damage to, but you're going to have main uh, wear and tear maintenance. But I think you're right. You know, Historically, we've seen real estate 3 to 5% over a long period of time. Yep. Last, last seven years, we've seen you know, some double-digit returns, some 8% returns. Um, we're going to talk more about what I think is going to happen to the real estate market over the next year and a half here, um, both with rates and just price volatility and stuff um, in my segment. I didn't mean to cut you off there, Matt. No, you're good. I actually was going to uh, suggest we go to a break. And when we come back, I'd like to uh, hear a little bit more about what options that uh, you might have, if that's okay, Mike. Let's do it. Very good. Listeners, stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. 
Hey guys, Mike Points, co-host of Smart Retirement Podcast and a licensed loan officer. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you sat down with your mortgage officer to discuss how your mortgage is going to affect you during retirement or how the current products and laws out there now are different from when you originally got your mortgage? Allow my team of retirement specialists and myself to put together a proposal for you that shows all of the different products and options you have right now. This is something we can implement in the next one to two months that helps you improve your current situation. If you're not able to remove your mortgage payment with your current mortgage, if you're not able to tap into the liquidity, and if you're not able to prepare better for healthcare costs, I want to show you how we can do that. So please contact me by calling 866-53-RETIRE, option two. Once again, that's 866-53-RETIRE, option two, or contact me at info at smartretirementcast.com. Look forward to hearing from you soon. And MLS number 1246224. Listeners, we're back. Uh, just wanted to thank you again for tuning in today's show and uh, wanted to wrap up a little bit about the volatility insurance topic before I bring Mike in to talk about some really exciting stuff that uh, and ideas that he's got in the mortgage world. But uh, I did want to extend out an offer to our listeners once again that if you're listening in today's show and you're at all concerned with what your portfolio is doing or just want a second set of eyes to just kind of tell you, hey, I think this is right, or here's maybe what I would do different. Let my team and I show you exactly what that would look like. In black and white, compare what you're currently doing to maybe what one of our suggestions would be. In black and white, very simple to understand. We'll give you a probability of success uh, for your retirement and really give you that peace of mind that you are in a position or you're not to make it through the rest of your retirement uh, as successfully as you'd like to. So to do that, go ahead, pick up the phone right now and dial 866-53-RETIRE. Again, that's 866-53-RETIRE. Option one will bring you straight to me, Matt Hollander at Century Financial Consultants. Just let me know that, uh, or someone that uh, answers the phone on my team, let them know that uh, you're looking to get a financial analysis done to you. Absolutely complimentary for being a listener of today's show. Or feel free to shoot us an email at info at smartretirementcast.com. So with that, Mr. Mike, I know you're uh, you're raring to go with some great information. So I'm going to hand over the reins to you. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what, what, what ideas that you uh, have here. Thanks, Matt. Um, great segment on the volatility. I think it's so important to be able to, you know, switch gears, shift gears in your retirement planning, especially when we've got 
something on our hands like a, a forced recession that the U.S. economy has never seen before. Um, speaking of that and how, you know, you might be in, you might be exactly like my in-laws are, which is, you know, right in the middle of transitioning into liquidating the real estate you've held for 10 or 15 years as an investor. Um, or you might be in it. Uh, you might be thinking, you know, how can I how can I still be in the real estate market and create an income for myself, but not deal with the BS like the tenants and the termites and the, you know, the the maintenance of the properties and just the turnover. Anything else you could think of that starts with the letter T that gives you a pain in your side about owning real estate. There's a way to do that. And, and I'm going to touch on it in this segment, but I want to introduce the topic properly and then get into the way I recommend clients do this. Um, what I'm talking about here is, and some of you may already be doing this or be aware of it or have friends that do it, but selling a property with what's called an installment sale. That's the way the IRS looks at it. Um, the, the more common or, or more um, um, typical phrase is, selling a property with a seller carryback where you actually offer the note to the buyer so that they can purchase your home and you can be in the position as the bank. Um, when banks are involved in real estate transactions, the buyer usually has a down payment of various types. The more that the, the buyer puts down, the more skin in the game they have on the purchase transaction, the more uh, willing the bank is to offer better terms, things like better real estate, um, excuse me, better interest rates, and um, even better styles of amortization notes, such as a 15-year or 30-year, 25-year amortization, things with adjustable rate mortgages, um, you know, interest-only options. So what I'm having clients do, or what I want you to think about, listeners, is if you own real estate right now and you're thinking, gosh, we're right dab smack in the middle of this COVID-19 process. I don't want to sell my house for less than what I think it's worth, or I'm just not getting the right type of buyers. Or maybe you're learning what a lot of buyers are learning is that lending guidelines are tightening up pretty quick. Um, and you want to sell to someone at the price that they're, they want to pay you for. They want to pay you a good price for the house for the price you want to sell the house for, but now they can't get a loan. You actually can close a transaction on real estate and be their bank. And how that works, essentially, the logistics are these. You would, in exchange for the title of the ownership of your house, whether it's an investment property, a primary residence, or even a vacation home, you could sell this property to them you'd have to pay off any outstanding loan balance you have on the house and you could take a down payment of whatever you'd like i'm going to recommend you take at least 10 percent down to offset market volatility for them but then offer them terms as the bank where this is this allows you the 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 ability to stay in the real estate market with a loan outstanding that you will receive a note payment on monthly with collateral. So think about anywhere else in the marketplace, you could receive a 4% to 5% return with collateral of the real estate 
held in place. So if the borrower doesn't perform, goes into foreclosure, you would foreclose on the property and take the property back as first deed of trust, then being able to sell it in a foreclosure sale, or you could own it again and, um, and be able to deal with the, hold on, we're getting technical difficulties here, listener, sorry. And then deal with the property as you wish. Now, I'm not mentioning this idea. In fact, I won't really mention the foreclosure part again. I'm not mentioning this idea because I want you to offer your house to someone at a, you know, a price that's attractive to them and hope that they foreclose. That's not the point of this. The point of this is to create an instrument in retirement that gives you a steady monthly income and allows you to have collateral to back the loan so that you have some sense of risk management applied to this asset. What's nice about the installment sale that the IRS allows you to um, exercise is when you sell a house, let's just say you sell the house for $500,000 and it's an investment property. Well, you've got to pay capital gains on the profit you made above what you bought the house for and whatever, you know, bona fide expenses you put into improving that property. So if you bought that house for $300,000 seven or eight years ago, and now you're selling it for half a million dollars, you can minus out the real estate commissions. You can minus out the closing costs. Let's say you have a $30,000 expense to sell the place. So now you've got your original cost basis of $250,000 when you bought it seven years ago. You add the sales fees of $30,000 and you're at $280,000 in cost basis selling the house for $220,000 more than what your cost basis is gives you a sizable capital gains. That means that you're going to have $220,000 of income coming in this year on your Schedule D of your personal tax return, unless it's held in an LLC, in which case you'll still have to transfer those funds to your personal tax return in some way, you'd be paying a whopping tax on that $220,000. This is why the 1031 exchange exists. It allows investors to sell a property and say, hey, look, I'm not going to touch the money. I'm going to move it back into the, um, I'm going to move it back into the next property I'm buying. I have to buy the property, the next property for $1 more than what I sold the property for. So see, that can get, that puts you back in an ownership position and that might be fine. But what I'm talking about here with a seller, uh, seller carry back is completely different. It gets you right into the situation where you've sold the property. You no longer have to deal with the property. If you sold the property for $500,000, same scenario, but your costs were $250,000 to buy it and $30,000 in sales expenses to sell it. You will have sold that property, but you will not be taxed on the capital gains until you actually receive the money from the buyer. So now consider this, buyer's gonna come in with 10% down. They're gonna offer you $50,000 down as cash on your $500,000 sale. 
Maybe they want to move into it themselves. Maybe they want to buy it as an investment property. That doesn't matter in an installment sale like this where you carry back the loan as a note holder. Now, obviously, this is something I would I would talk to you about personally, but if you're going to if they're going to occupy the home as an investor, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to have more risk just like a bank would if they only put 10% down. So that interest rate is going to fluctuate based on how nice they make the situation for you. But just from the standpoint of owning a note, you now would offer them a $450,000 note on that property. They put 10% down. You're going to give them the loan for the rest. You're going to um, have escrow draft up a note for you, or you could have your own personal real estate attorney or family attorney help you draft the note. It would have a schedule, an amortization schedule. Um, or you could do interest only for them. So you can make it really easy, not collect any of the principal. Well, I'll get into that in a second, the difference between amortization and interest only payments. But you transact the sale, you would close escrow with giving them a $450,000 loan. You would give them the title and they would give you the $50,000 deposit. Now this is May 12th and you just closed. First thing on June 1st, guess what you get? You get a loan amortization mortgage payment from that borrower and it's going to consist of two things likely it's going to consist of interest no doubt you're going to be making that interest that's new income that you just made off the sale or excuse me off of the note you transacted with them that has collateral against that property the second portion of that payment is going to be principal in the form of a normal let's call it a 30-year amortized loan principal payment if that payment was um, 200000 excuse me, on a $450,000 loan, well, then you'd be expecting to see a payment that's right in the ballpark of um, $2,400 a month, okay? That's income to you at $2,400 a month. But what you have to do is you have to say $600 of that $2,400 is the buyer's principal payment to me as the bank. Now, that $600 is taxable as a capital gains expense. You just received um, money towards the principal reduction of your note for the property you sold. The, the IRS wants you to list that portion as a actual um, uh, ledger so that they can see that that's how they're gonna cap, uh, tax you as capital gains money. The interest portion, that's going to be income, new income within the year. So like Matt's talked about so many times during retirement, our tax bracket's very low. You could pay interest of, excuse me, taxes of only 15% on that money. That's going to be new income, not tied to the sale of the property, tied to income derived from the note you transacted. So just to recap, I've talked about a lot. Let me make sure I'm actually sinking this into your guys' heads here. You would no longer own this property, no longer have property tax to pay, no longer have in insurance to pay for, no longer have maintenance, but you would have a note outstanding. Hope with the, you know, um, legal standing as first deed of trust bank to receive notes for a period which you desire. A lot of times I'm seeing people structure the note this way. And I think this is a smart way to do it because one of the things you can do also as a uh, investor in retirement is that note income 
if we can show a continuity of it, meaning 12 months of payments from that buyer, every month they make you the same payment, I now as the lender can treat that as income to help you buy a new property. You can qualify for a loan on that property and you can also, um, you can refinance other properties you have by showing income for this. Um, what you'd want to do is you'd want to structure the loan. I typically see most loans structured for a 30-year amortization payment. The consumer, your buyer, and also your borrower is used to that type of um, style of loan. You can also do a 15-year loan amortizing. Um, and then what they, what they always do to protect themselves, people that set up these notes, is they'll set up a prepayment penalty. Prepayment penalty, a typical time frame for that is 18 months. You could also do, I think, 24 months is reasonable. Here's why you do the prepayment penalty, okay? This whole plan works because you're now on a installment agreement sale, and you can look that up, installment agreement sale. And um, this will, this prepayment penalty, it, prepayment is a risk to you because the second that buyer owns the house, they have the liberty at any time to go get a refinance with a guy like me or their banking institution that they work with all the time, or a local loan officer. And if they refinance that house and pay off that loan, your loan, well, guess what? You just got all the cash at once that the IRS now can call capital gains, and you have to ledger that on your return for the year in which you receive the money. So you just defeated the whole purpose of doing this thing and spreading out the capital gains interest, uh, excuse me, income tax, liability over a series of years. So the, the prepayment penalty, what that does is it motivates them to stay in the loan with you for a period of time as you start to receive funds for that note, amortize the payment down, and stay in position to receive income in retirement. The other thing I see people doing in addition to the prepayment penalty is they set a five-year term. So it's a 30-year amortization schedule. So the buyer is going to be paying it back on a 30-year fixed payment, but they need to revisit with the bank at year five. So they either have to pay off that loan at year five, or they can sit with you again to basically re-qualify. So think about this. You could have them locked in for five years. They have to pay you back. So at that time, you know you're going to get the money. At that time, you're prepared to offset the capital gains by maybe not taking any income that year unless the required minimum distribution is required. Um, you know, really minimizing your income because you're going to get a shot in the arm of cash if they pay off that loan at year five. However, <clears throat> if the market interest rate goes up, let's say rates are at 6% in the marketplace for a refinance, or let's just say they're at five and a quarter and your note is currently at four. Well, you could sit down with them and say, hey, look, based on the fact that you've made all the payments, and market rates at five and a quarter, you don't want to really want to refinance and you seem like a great viable partner. Why don't we do this loan again? We'll take the outstanding balance. We'll spread it out over 30 years again, and I'll do another five-year payment period. So you can continue receiving this income during retirement, all the while participating in the installment sale agreement where you pay capital gains over the life of this loan until you're repaid the principal in full. So Matt, are you there? I am, oh. Mike. No, okay, I'm here. Great. I'm here. Lots of visual on you, but I, I I can see I feel your spirit. 
Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things I, I wanted you to chime in with here is that, you know, you know, from dealing with self-employed individuals that they don't always, I mean, they have a lot of liberty to file expenses and a lot of them have plenty of cash, but they have a hard time qualifying for loans. Sure. Absolutely. So for you listeners that are in this position that could do a seller carry back, I'm happy to walk you through how this would work by calling 866-5-5-5-3. Thank you. Matt, give them the number, would you? I don't have it in front of me. 866-5-3-RETIRE. Again, that's 866-5-3-RETIRE. Option two will get you directly to Mike Points at Central Coast Lending, and uh, I can walk you through that. I can talk you through how this process would work, how escrow is going to help you draft the uh, the note agreement if you'd want them to, um, and how the note payable income to you will help you get a future loan. Whether it be, I mean, maybe you're at this position in life where you've got income on your rental properties, but you've sat with a loan officer because you want to get a refinance on your primary residence, but you just don't show enough income to qualify for that loan. I've had that happen to people in retirement and it's annoying because you've got the cash flow. You're just not showing the income on paper. This full note payment to you would be new income. And as soon as we have 12 months of history that I can show checks from the, the borrower to you, that's new income that could help you qualify for another investment property. Think about that or refinance for your primary residence. What I like about qualifying for another investment property, if you've got the 20 to 25% down required, when that buyer sends you the payoff and pays you all of your remaining income, well, guess what you can do? You can take all that cash and put it into your investment property's current note, pay that note way down and have that lender recast or re-amortize what your payment is. You could start cash flowing on that investment property you bought from me qualifying you with this note payable income. So it's pretty neat. And you know, when you should be, you should be expecting or setting yourself up for this as we go through this reshaping of the economy. You know, if we're in a U-shape recovery and this is two or three quarters like Matt spoke of earlier, you know, and you want to sell your house this year, you might have some people that can qualify for a loan but want to offer you a lower price. Um, you might have someone sitting right there on the sidelines that says, hey, I'm self-employed and now with these new lending guidelines, I can't get a loan, but I sure would like to offer you full price for your house. I love the backyard or I love the fact that it's got four bedrooms or it's got a shop in the back that I could use for my business, but I just can't get a loan. This is going to help you remember and hopefully this episode will help you start a transaction or a discussion on how that would work. So great, uh, great ideas, way- Mike. Just another way to say, hey, look, I've got real estate. I don't want to offload it because I don't want to pay the capital gains. And I sure as heck don't want to go through another transaction. And prices are so high right now. How do I get some income out of this thing with having, without having to deal with the tenants, the termites, and the turnover? Great, uh, great ideas, Mike. I think uh, even after this call, I've got a couple clients that, I think even just discussing this today sparked a couple of things with me. So you and I will have to, uh, after we get done with the show here today and discuss a couple um, case studies and maybe next show we can come back with uh, some positive results from that so we can give some actual case study on it. Yeah. Yeah. Another way we're going to try to get our, our um, hard money lender contact on the next show. Is that right, Matt? Yeah. So we, we will have him on the show. It's going to be mainly for, um, 
commercial type uh, types of real estate uh, or investment types of property. So it won't be for our typical residential real estate. Um, but yeah, we are going to have it's a it's a racing buddy of mine actually um, by the name of Darren Moore, and uh, Darren's the owner of uh, Sunset Mortgage out of Mission Viejo. So we'll have have him on uh, for our next show. That'd be great. He and I will probably have a good dialogue for that show. I bet. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So I'll probably be sitting on the sidelines a little bit on that show, but uh, that's all right. We're uh, we're here to educate everyone and want to make a bunch of smart retirees. So with that, Mike, was there anything else you wanted to add in today or are we could go ahead and wrap up the show? That's it. I'm going out to the wind and the pool. Enjoy it, buddy. All right, listeners, let's go out and make the rest of our lives the best of our lives. Thanks for tuning in today. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or construed as providing specific investment advice. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. California license number 0175638, NMLS number 1246224. Got nothing else but time I think I'm gonna lose my mind Gonna leave it all behind When will it stop? Uh, I can't take this shit no more oh. Wanna go back to before Come on. Think I'm a bust on out the door Stay inside now We're gonna turn the lights down Don't you wanna let your feelings go? Oh.